It is indeed another episode of the Glenn Merzer Show where we go in-depth and talk about, well, plants and plant-based eating and a plant-based lifestyle and all of that good stuff because it is good stuff as I turn it over to the capable hands of Glenn Merzer. Thank you, Rich. And our guest today has a remarkable story to tell. Jamie Morgan Reno uh, lost quite a bit of weight, I believe about 250 pounds, and has kept it off for how many years now, Jamie? Uh, Almost 15. Almost 15 years. So that is sustained weight loss. Welcome to the show, Jamie. It's an honor to have you you as a guest. I'm honored to be here. Uh, so tell us your story. How did you? How did it happen that you found yourself weighing over four hundred pounds? And how did you overcome that that uh, weight well, problem? Well, uh, I was always obese as a child. Um, really, since I was an infant, I have I see pictures of, of myself as an infant, and I'm even you know definitely overweight at, at that stage. So I think I, I had, you know, sort of gotten used to seeking food as comfort and, and, you know, kind of going that route. And for me, um, when, as I grew up and I grew up in a, in a, you know, tumultuous home and, and, uh, also during that time I was, you know, I had the, the home environment that was unstable in, in some ways and also the boon of the processed food industry. So it was this, this perfect storm of an environment that was being created and home that was, that was, you know, igniting stress pathways and an environment out in the world that was really launching with this whole idea of processed foods and, um, and, you know, the the trend of processed foods was growing exponentially in the late seventies, early eighties. So that really led to, um, you know, more availability of the food. And I was primed to, really um, crave those foods based on the stress pathways that were, you know, kind of laid in my brain from a very, very young age, unfortunately. And on top of that, uh, because I was eating so much processed foods from a young age, um, even in addition to, you know, nursing and and some of the other infant foods, um, I was seeing really slow metabolism. So I just, you know, it was this problem that kept compounding upon itself. So you believe that you essentially became a processed food addict from childhood. Oh, for sure. Right? I remember very, very young, yeah. uh, you know, wanting the, the cereals that I saw on TV, wanting to be able to have them at home. And it felt like um, almost like I was, you know, eating with friends right in front of the TV on a Saturday morning. The characters in the box matched the characters on the commercials, matched some of the characters in the in the shows. And it was like this, this you know, my little, um, my little click on Saturday mornings. So it's interesting now I, I put the pieces together, you know, uh, I wasn't, I didn't think of myself as a lonely child at all. Um, but I think there was a lot of time that I spent alone. So to some extent food yes. was your and friend. When I realized in 2017 about processed food addiction, and then I, it all needed to come out, you know, completely, uh, without any kind of, of revisitation. <laughs> Uh, or, you know, moderation. Uh, I remember telling a close right. friend, I feel like I'm losing my best friend. And, and I wasn't talking about her. <laughs> now, children, yeah, 
Now, children can be yeah. cruel. So when you were an overweight child, did you have to deal with a lot of cruelty yeah, from the other the children? All the time. Lots of, you know, comments and, you know, snickers and, you know, um, laughter, um, jokes. Um, yeah, very, very cruel stuff. Um, I chose, which is ironic, I chose to be in, you know, in performing arts and, you know, from a young age, which was so interesting. I think I was kind of trying to escape this person that I was. So I, you know, I chose to go into the performing arts, which, you know, kind of puts you out there for a, you know, some ridicule, I think. And uh, it was almost, you know, it was interesting that I chose to do that. And I also chose to, um, you know, just kind of when I heard jokes or heard comments or saw people gesturing, I, you know, just kind of absorbed it instead of saying something or asking a question or starting a conversation. You know, I didn't have any of those tools back then. Now, now, if you're a very overweight girl and they're putting on a production of Romeo and Juliet, do you try <laughs> out for Juliet? No, what do I'd you gotten do? really used to. I'd gotten really used to being those character act, the character actresses, and uh, I was, right. you know, any of those right. like big body characters, right? I would always get those roles, even as a kid. I don't think we did Shakespeare as a kid, but uh, hmm. in college we definitely did, and those are the kind yeah. of roles that I got. So you you stayed in the theater I in did. college too. Actually, you you I actually acted? got a full ride to um, to undergrad for theater, and uh, I woke up about halfway through and I thought, like this is crazy. I don't want to be you know slinging French fries the rest of my life or selling you know trying trying to uh, wait tables. So I just um, left that that major um, and got into the communications and psychology and business world. Okay. But what was it that you loved about theater? Was it that connection, connection with, with the, the audience? audience? Probably acceptance, right? That whole, I think for me, after not feeling validated most of my life, and certainly not validated for the way I looked, right? I might've been validated for intellect or validated for, uh, you know, for, for my heart or for my generosity, but it was never validated about, you know, the way I looked. So um, I, I think that there was something about being validated by other human beings just for the way I performed, you know, just in, for how I showed up on stage, yeah. quote unquote, or in, in that world. I think that was part of it. It was interesting that I chose. Did you, did you like to make people laugh? Did you like to do comedies? Yes. Yeah. Um, and um, do you still like theater as a as a concept do. do you still in, enjoy the theater or I go do. to the theater i don't go uh nearly as often as i would or really since the pandemic uh but when i lived since I lived COVID. in new jersey for a while and i before the pandemic hit i got to go to broadway shows and the opera and you know i got to go to carnegie hall yeah. and i just it was great to be able to be at this in the seat of it right for about five years or four years before the pandemic hit Right. My background is as a playwright. And uh, for me, there, there's no other art form that's as immediate and as powerful as the theater. And I can imagine that if someone feels isolated, and I've known a lot of people in the theater who were isolated except when they were in the theater, and in the theater they felt yes. accepted. Yes. Yeah. Um, so... Was your family supportive of your struggle with weight uh, growing up? Depends on what you mean by supportive. 
<laughs> they were, you know, no, no, not, not overall. They were, um, it was a source of shame and a source of ridicule uh, and a source of something that needed to be changed. It was constant, constant discussions around, mm-hmm. you know, change or, or, you know, um, re um, looking at or re-examining um, my food was just, a, it was a constant discussion point. Do you have any before or after I pictures do. with you? All right, so let's before, see what they This was like. at my heaviest, probably. This was well over 400. Um, and t- again, I'm trying to figure out how to get you guys to see it. So I'll hold it up to the camera here. Just hold it up to the camera. That was, wow. I was probably yeah. 2005, maybe 2000. I'm sorry, 2007. Uh, so I was, um, this is, you know, right before I began the journey. Um, mm-hmm. And I've got yeah. a couple more before photos. This one, yeah. I'm a, a little bit smaller, but this one was um, before yeah. that. And then, you know, it's funny. I said before after pictures. <laughs> You're the after picture. We're just interested in the before it pictures is, to it compare. Is wild, and it's so interesting just to look at them. I haven't seen them in a while, but. Uh, Hey, Jamie, when, when you say interesting, what kind of emotion does that bring up? I mean, I've known, I've seen pictures of myself that I did not like or how I used to look or something like that. And uh, sometimes it stirs up some pretty heavy emotions. Does that do that with you? Uh, it, you know, it normally, yes. But recently I've been, you know, just because of, of the interest in, in interviews like this, I've been looking at these more often. So, so today, not so much. Um, but in the past, yeah, they, they, they kind of stayed in a folder on my phone where I didn't look at them, uh, for a few, you know, for a long time. Yeah, for sure. And, and I would say emotions are you know, probably you, sadness. When you think back to how you were in 2005, when you were mm-hmm. 400 pounds, um, do you feel like you were the same person you are now, or do you feel like you were a completely different person? Oh, I think, I think who you see and who you're talking to now was always in there. I think she was always in there. She just didn't think she should or could be let out. And it's interesting, right? The the Freudian slip Mm -hmm. I just made. So that was, Mm -hmm. that was again, uh, at a, at a a thinner phase before the the transformation. Um, yeah. So, and then after a photo again, now keep in mind, I lived in New Jersey for a long time, so excuse the pants. But uh, that, <laughs> that's uh, after the, you know we talked a lot about. I just actually wore this outfit last week at a trade show, um, uh-huh. and there you go. Again, it's hard. I I don't share these because everyone everyone likes to look a certain way on their wedding day. But that was uh, there. There was no massive. No massive dieting happening uh-huh. for wedding day. It Beautiful. was just whatever I ate whenever, you know, just getting ready for the wedding day. That's what I ate. It was wonderful not to have to do extreme measures of, uh, uh-huh. of all kinds of, um, all kinds of things trying to get ready for a wedding. Um, and that was me in yeah. June. So it's just uh-huh. been a really fun journey. And, uh, t- well, tell us how you did it. 
how did how did the first hundred pounds come off and then the second hundred and then the last yeah, 50? so i um when i knew i needed to change i looked seriously looked at surgery and i realized that for me surgery was not going to be the right fit uh not only the financial outlay but also because you know we were they never addressed how they actually addressed the weight right they never addressed what was going on psychologically and emotionally that was leading to the eating. And to me, I thought, you know, I could lose a bunch of weight. I knew I could, I'm very hard headed. I'm very, you know, driven in so many ways, which is, which is ironic. Um, and now that same drive applies in this lifestyle change, but for many years it didn't. And so, um, I would find myself, um, looking at the surgery and realizing that, they weren't giving us the tools to keep it off. So I knew if I was going to do it, I had to do it on my own with the guidance of professionals. And it was going to be a slow and steady wins the race kind of thing. So that's how I started. I worked with a dietitian and a, and a counselor, uh, you know, for cognitive behavioral therapies. First time I'd ever gone since I was a kid. And uh, it was, it was intensive counseling and um, intensive therapy with dietitian who who, you know, they both helped me a lot to understand the why behind what I was doing and, um, you know, and who I was and what was sort of feeding, feeding me in a way. To want it. Did, did they come to the conclusion that you had no, a food addiction? Processed was, food and addiction? as a matter of fact, as I, you know, I lost the first hundred over the first couple of years, the second hundred over the next couple of years. And the the talk of processed food addiction was never brought up that word was never brought up we talked about the fact that it was addictive eating but they never talked about the foods being addictive they were always like well there's something in you that's making you eat these things addictively like they never the, the research back then wasn't it was just starting to to bubble up back then 2008 9 10 through 12 somewhere they were just starting to pull this information and make it mainstream so I had a lot of content, a context of, hey, there's something wrong with you, Jeannie, in the way that you eat. And so basically the, the dietitian was trying to help you restrict your calories, but wasn't really getting to the heart yeah. of 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 yes, what so the problem was. A lot of talk was, of right? measuring things with with body parts, right? And with thumbs and palms and fingers and fists and it was all that. And so food mm -hmm. measuring became part of it, which was, you know, for someone who soothed with food, the idea that I would have to measure was frightening <laughs> to me. Um, right. And, and yet it succeeded to a degree in that you lost a great deal of weight, but that's really can be attributed to your strength of character, your willpower, your desire to do it because if I understand correctly, you weren't really satisfied and at peace no, with I food would, during those correct. years. I right? was a, as they say in the rooms of AA, which is not my, I don't have a problem with alcohol, but in the world of addiction recovery, you find your way into the rooms of different recovery groups. And I, I resonated a lot right. with what they said in AA. And I call myself a white knuckle dry drunk around food during that period, right? 2008 through really until I pulled out all the processed foods. So almost 10 years. 
So when and how did you pull out the processed foods and go on a whole food plant-based diet? Even though I was 200 pounds lighter, I struggled with processed food and I struggled with animal products. So starting in 2012 or so, uh, up until 2015, I dabbled, or excuse me, I was totally plant-based, but I was dabbling with the uh, kind of plant foods that are processed, uh, like some of the processed plant meats back then, you know, soy strips or whatever they were called. And so I didn't, even though I was eating vegetables and all plant foods, I didn't feel great. I certainly, I don't, looking back now, I was not eating a broad array of nutrients or critical nutrients the way that I I am now. That's part of it. And I think a lot of it was, um, I was getting, you know, I was hearing it in the ear of people saying, where are you getting your protein? Where are you getting your protein? And I think I just, you know, that coupled with the fact that I wasn't feeling great kind of made me rethink things, you know, falsely, unfortunately, but that's what happened. So 2015, I went back into the animal products and and started to clean up my diet, knowing that I could, you know, I wasn't the kind of person who could, you know, um, moderate certain foods. Um, So I started taking certain foods out um, and eating really, you know, healthfully and cleanly in general, but I still had animal products. I still had dairy and I still did have those occasional treats that were processed food. So I was trying to moderate on weekends and keeping it strictly clean during the week. And that held okay until eventually, just like anything else in my recovery anyway, it led to a sort of binge restrict where I would have the weekend indulgences and then get back to a restrictive diet during the week. And it actually became, it's almost like somebody was tightening the belt, no pun intended. And, and they were, you know, over time they were, um, you know, it was becoming more strict for me during the week and, and the binges were being even bigger. And then it also incorporated some exercise bulimia in there, usually on a Sunday after eating a big Mm -hmm. Saturday night meal, it just was really unhealthy. And of course, because I was trying to moderate processed foods one night a week, I still had the food monkey on my back the whole time. So I, I was walking around wearing a size six or an eight thinking I, you know, I, I had done it. I was keeping the weight off and I was, you know, I, I was being, I'm sure I'd been interviewed by that point and, you know, folks that were noticing, but I inside knew that I hadn't found, um, my true North yet. And so how did you find your true North? Around 2017. I remember, I remember what I was doing. I was doing some food prep, uh, in my kitchen and I was listening to chef AJ and she was talking about Jeff Novick and calorie density. And I thought, Oh, that makes a lot of sense. And then that led me down. I don't know how it was led me from Chef AJ to Joan Iflin, Dr. Joan Iflin, and her research on processed food addiction in a textbook she wrote. I saw a talk she gave and she talked about withdrawal that she had from processed food and how she showed up in withdrawal. And it, her withdrawal looked like, um, you know, anger and rage and emotional dysregulation. And I thought, I stopped in my tracks and I looked up. And I thought, oh my gosh, that like I do that. I do that when I'm when I'm I'm hangry. But like for me, like hangry is not always in that funny and cute. Mm-hmm. Jamie's hungry. No, it was like this. I was an, I was an addict coming off her high and needing a hit. It was, you know, um, bigger than than just like oh I'm a little irritable. 
So is there a group that you uh, are part of now, a processed food I addiction group? I am part of Dr. Iflin's um, processed food addiction recovery group um, called Addiction Reset Community. Mm -hmm. And that's been a great source of support for me for sure. Uh, I am, but you know, I, there's not, there's not a whole food plant-based exclusive group. Um, you know, they're, they're, they are not an exclusive whole food plant-based group. So I am part of the subgroup, but really my people eating wise are not, are not in, in that group, but support and recovery wise, I get a ton of support and recovery in, from, from the other members there. But okay. I really align to the, the group that chef AJ leads in how they eat and how they choose their foods as well as, and it's not a formal community, but, um, you know, Dr. Furman and some of his research has really helped me to, to kind of understand how to structure meals and structure my week of food overall. So how do you do it? Do you follow the principles of Dr. McDougall with a starch based you know, diet or, or what? Uh, I, I don't, for me, I find that Potatoes, even if I sequence my meals and all those good things, for me, um, potatoes can, given my metabolism and history overall, I find that that my weight can stall uh, with potatoes. Or I can, if you know, if I'm if I'm particularly sedentary that week, I'll notice I can get a little puffy. Um, so I actually don't do too many potatoes. On occasion, I do, um, but they're not a daily thing for me. Uh, however, I'll do ground rice, I'll do quinoa, um, I'll do some, you know, squashes, all the squashes, kabocha squash is in my fridge right now, as a matter of fact. Um, and I'll do those kinds of, of winter squashes or other things, you know, um, heavier squashes. And I will um, structure my plate. You know, half of it is non-starchy vegetables, most, you know, mostly raw, some cooked, mixed in usually all, you know, all of it mixed in. And then the other half is um, either some sort of more cooked vegetables with a starch or um, we'll have, you know, some fruit with that as well. So it's really easy. Um, I have worked with, you know, Dr. Lori Marbus and plant-based telehealth. Um, and I have gone through all of my eating, you know, patterns and my food journal and just kind of tweak things further with her. So she's got a really good approach. You know, they helped me with a really good approach of how to tweak my meals. And, uh, I'm just, it, because of the way that I eat, because it's, it's so based on foods that are so satiating. I've never in, well, it's going to be, 2022. So it's going to be almost three years now since I've been eating whole food plant-based this way, plant exclusive this way, um, based on calorie density and, and all of the doctors I mentioned and the thought leaders I mentioned, and I've not had any kind of processed food dessert, you know, I've never given into a wedding cake at a wedding. I've never you know gone out and had that ice cream. You know, I just don't, I, I I'm satiated. And you don't, no, you don't miss it. I don't, it anymore, I don't want to feel that, that right? way anymore. I don't want to feel that way anymore. Yeah. So, so fair to say that it's only when you went whole foods, plant exclusive, that you really yes. came to peace yes. with your diet. Yes. And there are, yeah. there are, you know, some folks in the food addiction recovery world that 
that, you know, will say, oh, you know, well, you're not really recovered if you're eating starches. You're not really, you know, you, and I just, I just, you know, let things like that roll off my back. I, I think, you know, I know that folks in the low carb world have lots of lapses with processed foods. And I just look at how I don't, <laughs> and I just tell them everything I need to know. Now, Rich, you've lost some weight, not, not even as much close. as Jamie, but uh, it's right. not a competitive field. Um, but do you, would you also say that it's only when you went whole foods, plant-based yeah, that you felt absolutely. More and I'm, I'm kind of going through that now and I've gone back to it because uh, I had an injury to my, my toe, which stopped me from cooking for about oh two months, uh, cause you're cooking, you're on your feet a lot. And so I would always cook as you know, whole food plant-based all the time. But when I wasn't cooking anymore, all of a sudden I found myself eating processed foods and easy foods to grab at. And even though they were all vegan, it didn't really matter. Um, because I wasn't being very healthy and I started gaining some weight and I just started noticing it in my, in my shorts and my pants, and my shirts. I'm like, uh Oh, um, you know, this is all getting tighter now. I don't think it's shrunk in the laundry. I think it's me. Um, and so going back to whole food plant-based, it, it, it's amazing, uh, how different you actually feel and how quickly that it happens. And then once you're there, I mean, it, you really don't want to go back and, you know, I know I'll never go back to eating animal products, but getting off the whole food plant-based to me almost seems silly at, at times, it's like, why would I do this? Because the way that I feel when I'm on it, I mean, it, it's, there's just no comparison. I mean, it feels like this is what I was naturally predisposed to be and to do is when I'm on the whole food plant-based diet. A ton of energy, a ton of yeah. energy, a ton of mental clarity. I kind of enjoy, I enjoy um, remembering things better than most people I know. I enjoy, you know, um, organizing my thoughts especially, you know, how I can apply them at work. I really enjoy that. You know, you actually brought up something about, about food addiction, and there's something that's not even talked about quite a bit. I just saw a commercial for Taco Bell, and I have a restaurant background and actually was working as a district manager for Arby's for five years, believe it or not. A few of those yeah. as as a whole food plant-based person, which was really odd. But they, I see this commercial for Taco Bell, and they, it's like this cheesy steak burrito. And so they put cheese on the bottom, then steak on top, then they put cheese, then a cheese sauce, then they wrap it, and then they put more cheese on it. And this is this cheesy steak burrito. And I'm, I'm thinking about it as, as gross as it is and as bad as it is for you. All right. They do it for a reason. Cheese is highly addictive and plays on some of the same kind of centers that even drugs do, like like within your brain. So they, they do it for a reason. Restaurants do all this stuff for a reason. They research this stuff to get the right crunch, the right texture, the right balance of sweet and savory to the point where it becomes addictive. And not a lot of people talk about that. They think it's all about willpower. Meanwhile, you've been training your body to eat these foods that give you that immediate response that are saying, hey, I want this crunch. I want this sweet and savory. I want this, you know, sodium hit. I want this sugar hit. And it's all there for you when you go out to process food. So, you know, it's very commendable, you know, for you to say, hey, you know, to get away from that. The, the processed food thing is more than just, I mean, mentally, you got to physically bring yourself away because there's muscle memory and stuff that's ingrained in you then oh, yeah. that says you need this. Yeah. The queso, the queso morphines in dairy, by the way, that is so, that is so real. <laughs> like mm -hmm. the addiction to dairy for me was super strong yeah. and I never really even thought of my, I mean, I, I'm Italian and I grew up in, you know, a household that, that used a lot of dairy, but, um, it wasn't 
something where I thought, oh, gosh, I just, I, I can't give it up. It just, <laughs> I remember seeing those commercials back in before they started adding cheese to everything. I started seeing those commercials and I was still in the food. I'm still in the processed foods, still eating restaurant foods and fast food. And I remember thinking, you know, that would be really good if you put more cheese on that. Like I would talk to the commercials and be like, you know, you surely had cheese in that. And now I hear you describe this thing mm-hmm. as just meat, cheese, and bread. And I'm like, they've done it. They've done it. They, yeah. they, but I remember this voice came out of a place that wasn't me. It was my addict voice saying, mm-hmm. like, you need to put more cheese on that. You should probably, you know, maybe make make something that you can put ketchup on. It was like kind of my my requirement. <laughs> Now, would you say that dairy and sugar are the most addictive foods? Were those the ones you had the most trouble with? Sugar and fat. Fried fried fat, a.k.a. donuts. That was it. That was it. You, you, I joking, I joked with my husband last night because he, we were watching a TV show and I just could care less about TV. I'm just like, I'll watch it for a little escape for five, 10 minutes and then I'm done. Like, I don't even care. And he, you know, he's more like once he gets into something, he'll watch it. And I said to him, you know, you are like donuts, like I am to TV. I said, I watch you eat a donut. You'll take a couple of bites and be like, yeah, whatever. And like, leave it and forget about it. And I think that's bizarre, like how you cannot finish a donut or a whole box of donuts. I don't understand that. But I'll leave a TV show five minutes in and you think I'm crazy because I don't want to know how the story ends. I said, it's just so interesting. Like he, you know. He's into the storylines, into that that thing, and I, I think that it's crazy how they could leave a half-eaten cookie. Mm-hmm. Not now. But, you know. I I used to write I used to write for television, and even when I wrote the episode, I didn't <laughs> care how it ended. You know, it just it just never cared at all. Um, maybe because my background was theater. Um, now I'd like to broach a subject that's a really delicate subject. Uh, so I'll I'll try not to say anything wrong, but it's the subject of what they call body positivity. Uh, now we could all agree that it's terrible to shame people for being overweight, uh, you know, and uh, you know, uh, you know, it's just cruel. On the other hand, I go into Target now, and I see that the mannequins are more and more overweight every time I go in there. And it's like the normalization mm-hmm. of obesity. And I s- see various singers and celebrities celebrating their obesity. And something feels wrong to me uh, with that, too. So how do you feel about I want to ask both of you how you feel about that. Would you like to? Ladies first. Or? Always ladies first. Let's start with uh, you, Jamie. Uh, thank you. Um, so here's the deal. I've been on both sides of it. Uh, I've been on both sides of it, you know, longer on the other side, but, um, there is, I agree. We don't want to shame anyone because now, especially now I understand it's not because of lack of willpower. It's not because we're, we're not deserving or unworthy. It's not because, you know, um, uh, we're broken. It, it really, you know, we are responding to the richest foods in our environment and in a way that leads to addiction, right? It's that simple. So I don't think shame has any place. However, I do think that to, on the flip side, to, to kid ourselves with denial and delusion that overweight and obesity is in any way or shape or form healthy uh, in the long term uh, and won't compound with age and comorbidities as we age 
is is living in the land of of deep denial and because our mirror neurons are so mm. used to being um stimulated by everyone around us that looks like that we be, now i think like you said that the mannequins are thicker everything is is heavier be, and you know even the vanity sizing for women's clothes i don't know about men's but women's clothes vanity sizing has gotten very very egregious um and it's mm-hmm. interesting that it's encouraged to walk around looking that way and saying it's okay but if they're 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 telling you it's okay to look that way and also it's okay to eat these foods because they know that if you eat those foods you're going to look that way so they're they want to it's a self-fulfilling prophecy and i think it's intentional right they want to drive revenue and they want to drive revenue and then by the way the healthcare industry wants to drive revenue so i mean it's all it's all connected yeah. uh, you know, unfortunately Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, Glenn, I never, I don't say never, I'll go to the mall maybe once a year, walk around the mall, which by the way, is really kind of a sad experience now with so many stores that are closed in malls. Uh, Cause I remember they used to be like the places to go, but one store I always liked walking by was Victoria's secret. Now, I would do this thing where you do like this kind of gaze out of your eye, you know, there's just like a little half gaze, take a look at the models and the pictures and the mannequins yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And I walked by there. This was seriously yeah. about a month ago. And I'm like, what the heck has happened to Victoria's Secret? All of the model pictures and all of the mannequins were obese. And I'm like, I, I, I get it. I get that there's probably more of the population now that identifies with that. But the normalization of this isn't just like, um, I, I don't know, like, like not pleasing to the eye. I believe it's dangerous um, because you're, you're, you're exactly right. We should never body shame someone. That's true. And it's also true that obesity is not healthy. It just, there's nothing those. And so we, exactly. we can agree that right. both of these things are true. So why would we normalize a standard then that is unhealthy? Why don't we set a standard that's higher and saying, this is healthy over here. Why don't we try and achieve this together and through education and, and through, um, you know, being able to, to properly talk to your children about it and what have you. I've had to have those conversations with my children about it because I've had unhealthy relationships with food. And I think, you know, when, when I look at this, it, it does get my dander up just, just a bit because I, I'm a little upset that you, you, it's the perfect word normalization and we should not normalize being unhealthy. I think that's a dangerous spot to go in society. And I think we're getting more and more there every day. And it's scarier and scarier to me, Glenn, which is why I, I think it's important. I think it's important you're doing your podcast. I'm doing mine. Jamie's out there and she's teaching people what, what, what to do because we got to let as many people know as possible. This isn't right yeah, over not. here. Yeah. And it's. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we don't have mannequins <laughs> right. smoking cigarettes. And, Shooting up heroin. And, 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 and yeah, Stinger yeah. saying, <laughs> I smoke two packs a day right. and I'm proud of it. You know. But here's the thing. we so Everyone knows. Big tobacco lost, right? Big tobacco became big food. We know that. Mm-hmm. Big yep. tobacco became big food. So they're not going to lose. Yeah. So they're going to they're going to make sure that big tobacco, big media, and big pharma work together, so that they can create this yeah. cultural ideal of of overweight and obesity being accepted, so that they can keep selling their products. I mean, it's really it's pretty clear. Once I got that, I and I, yeah. I stepped away from that whole world. <laughs> 
so funny that you bring up Big Pharma and Big Food, by the way. Um, they both use the same PR firm, Berman & Company, which has been around yeah. since the 50s. And Big Tobacco used them to try and sell the fact that smoking wasn't that bad for you or it could be okay to do it. All they wanted to do is just put doubt in your mind that it just wasn't that bad. And now they're doing the same things with food. It's just, yeah. it's just not that bad. Um, in fact, they even talk about food shaming now. And you're not supposed to tell people that are eating donuts that that's bad for you um but yeah. it is right I, I i are we living in some kind of bizarro world i would love it if donuts were great for me they're not we all know that you should say that <laughs> yeah somebody i was listening to an interview with dr garth davis on rich roll and he was talking about all their all their all their peddling is doubt yeah. you know, mm-hmm. the that's all they're gonna do and, yeah. they, and they can even create doubt with how coca-cola yeah. sponsors a wellness campaign mm-hmm. it's hilarious because it's like wait a second I thought Coca-Cola was bad for me, but now they're sponsoring this weight loss campaign. Like, it's just so, it's so egregious. Right. And the, the breast cancer yes, campaigns get dairy. sponsored yeah. by yeah. dairy. <laughs> yeah. They, they're mm-hmm. smart, I guess, the they're... other side. Oh. <laughs> um, is your husband on, on this uh, health he journey is. with you? He plant-based is. diet? He, um, he is, he's the kind of, you know, we had very different childhoods, right? I was like the, you know, more sedentary theater gal, you know, overweight and never really played sports and didn't run unless I was being chased. And I, I married a man who's naturally very tall and lanky. He's sort of effortless with, with his, his eating. And he could, you know, he's the kind of guy who can eat, you know, four donuts and, and still walk around with a six pack of abs. Like, it's just crazy to me. And he, um, he had some unhealthy eating habits before we, we got together. And then, so when we started dating, I was very clear. I think one of our very first sort of dates, I actually, he was there when I gave a grand rounds, a medical grand rounds, um, talking about my story to a hospital network. And, um, he heard the whole story. He knew it, but he sort of didn't know all the details and he heard it. And I said, look, you know, if you want to, if you want to date me, like this is, absolutely ground zero of what I will it cannot do. And I said, and I can't be with someone who, who's going to moderate the food or need to have the food around. I said, I, I totally respect your choice, but it's just, I can't do it. It's like an alcoholic in recovery, dating an active alcoholic. I couldn't do it. And he said, no, I totally get it. He said, right. you know, it's out. The man, I really didn't think he needed to lose anything, but he lost like 35 pounds, <laughs> like super effortlessly wow. because I was cooking, you know, I cooked for us and and, you know, he learned how to cook the way I cook. And he's just like, and he, you know, it was, it's very funny. And so now he was in a doctor's office and we had to ask some questions about what we thought might be a potential surgery to fix something in, in his hip, like a structural issue in his hip and from, from birth. And the doctor's like, well, you'll get around to it eventually. He's like, but I've never seen anyone else your age with as good of health as you have. So whatever you're doing, just keep doing it and just keep prolonging whatever we're going to need to do because mm-hmm. like I've never seen anyone at your age do. And it just was wild to me because he's not that much older than me, but it was. It's interesting how many people on a plant exclusive diet have the same story. They have benevolent doctors and they tell them they, the doctors see them and the benevolent doctors say, <laughs> whatever you do and keep doing it. Which is nice, but don't I want to know what you're doing? And he said, no, 
Apparently, they don't want to know. Nope. It's standard doctor. It, it's, it's just no, crazy. None of my other patients will do it. Okay. Well, you know, they hold people mm -hmm. to such low standards, these doctors. They have such low expectations for their patients, even if they don't think that their patients would eat a healthy diet. They could at least point out, you know, your problems will go away if you will do this. And, and then leave it up to the patient. I, right? I'm a big believer in motivational interviewing. And it's, you know, it really kind of starts with how do you want to feel or how would you feel if you did X, Y, Z or did this differently? Motivational interviewing, I think if, mm -hmm. if and I know the physicians are taught it, I, I know that. And a lot of them, if they, if they did that, I think that they would have a lot a lot more success in getting their patients to think, you know, I, I do want to feel better. Or I do want, because it's really not about, we think it's about a number on a scale, but it's not. It's, and Rich, I'm sure he can attest, it's so much more than that. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Tell us about your YouTube channel called Such a Pretty Face. What's your so goal for uh, that channel? it's brand new, sort of, only a few months old. I do not have nearly enough content on there that I'd like to, um, but it is a channel that's all about, you know, I get a lot of requests and from people that know me or hear my story and they want to say like, Hey, how do you do what you do? What's your mindset? Like what you're eating, like what's your self-talk, like, you know, what's your lifestyle, like, which I kind of, you know, kind of laugh at because I don't want to be a, I don't see myself as being like a lifestyle YouTuber. There's, there's plenty out there. They do a great job. It's, it's not really my thing. Uh, but I, I, um, uh, enjoy, letting people understand what's in my head and how I apply it. You know, the good, bad, and ugly of what it looks like to recover every day from this addiction, um, because it is an addiction and recovery is lifelong. And there are so many aspects of my life that needed to change. I mean, every aspect of my life needed to change to get me here 15 years later and keep me going. And, um, that process I feel like might be interesting to people but I'm, I'm trying to create a platform that people can kind of come in, talk about it. I'd love to interview other, other processed food addicts or folks that are on the cusp of kind of connecting the dots to interview them to under, to, so others can kind of like hear what their thoughts are and identify, right? It's all about identification so that we can f help others find their way out of this. And, and like, I really want to show people what's possible. So the channel is, platform building. Eventually I, I will write a book that's also by the same name, hopefully. And, um, that whole idea is just to tell the story and talk about, you know, it's, it's never, you know, the, the peeling of the onion, right? It's never done. And the latest phase of me peeling my onion is to understand the background in my childhood that got me here, right? That got me to the food addiction, the severe food addiction, the morbid obesity, what kind of childhood experiences have I had that I have not healed from that um, perpetuated the addiction? So that's going to be a big part of this as well. So that process this, is ongoing. Yes, that's the latest phase of my recovery process. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's been a pleasure learning your story, Jamie. And um, uh, we'll be following you what can you tell our listeners about following you on social media there's such a pretty face on youtube, on YouTube I'm anything also else out there on facebook i you know i am on tiktok as well i 
I need to link things better. <laughs> I am, I'm kind of going kicking and screaming into the social media world because I want to be intentional and thoughtful and uh, mature about what I put out there. Um, I mm -hmm. feel like my audience would be people who, who are sitting there at three, four or 500 pounds and thinking that there's no way out, that there's no way out without drastic physiological alterations. They think there's no way out. And I know I was killing myself with food. And I think there's a lot of people out there that are getting to that point where they don't know what else to do. So they just keep eating and they're going to, there's a tipping point where you just can't stop and you don't want to, and you know, it's not good for you. And you just keep going anyway. That's the addiction progression progression. And I want to pull those people back from the brink and show them like, you don't have to be a size six or an eight, but you don't have to be a size 26 or 28 either. Like you, eventually you right. will find a way to get to your body's balance point and it will be effortless, but just take a second and, and, and hear that somebody else has been there and has done this from an extreme perspective and, and can help. Like I can, I can kind of guide you from a few steps ahead on the trail and say, Hey, this is, this is what happens. This is what it's like. And this is the freedom you'll find. Well, thank you, Jamie, thank you. for joining us. And um, I say to the audience, check out uh, the YouTube channel, Such a Pretty Face, to learn more about Jamie. And Rich, Absolutely. Why don't you as long sign as you're online on. checking that out, check out realmanyplants.com. That's where you're going to find the Glenn Merzer podcast. You'll also be able to find the realmanyplants.com podcast as well. Click on the support button to help us out and help out Paul's party as well. Plus, take the 30 day challenge, read the blogs, and find us all over social media as well. Jamie, excellent job. Very inspirational. Absolutely loved it. Glenn, you were Glenn, as always. Uh, fantastic. So uh, great job by everybody. We will see you next time on the Glenn Merzer Show.